We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is week six of our Ted Lasso rewatch, and I am joined by my co-host, the new managing editor of For the Win, Alex McDaniel. Alex, welcome and congratulations. Thank you. I didn't expect the title to be added so quickly, but yes, I start next month at For the Win, so please read it. Yes, I am. I'm very excited for you, just as I am very excited to to talk about Ted Lasso. But aside from for the win, you also have something else to promote. Let's get out all of our uh, all of our <laughs> housekeeping. Yeah, so I've decided I'm just going to start making up the premise every week. I'm going to stop trying to explain what it is. So, ain't slayed nobody. It's just like a bunch of friends just getting together and talking about life and <laughs> doing it through um, a Lovecraftian horror story where we play with dice and there's like a table and we we are characters and we play things. Doesn't it sound enticing? It does. I was about to say your other podcast sounds so much interesting than my other podcast. So much no. so much more mystique behind it. Oh yeah, that's maybe that's what it is. I'm just trying to be mysterious so it will intrigue people to listen, but that's what it is. And you can find it at Ain't Slayed. Everyone go check it out. And if, uh, if you're baseball fans, go check out From Phenom to the Farm. That comes at you every other Tuesday. So last week when you're listening to this, had a former Oklahoma State right-hander, Jonathan Perrin on. He is now a an investment advisor. So we talked about the financial side of baseball, a lot of, a lot of in the weeds stuff there from amateur ball to pro ball. And then next week uh, we are doing a super cut episode of uh, former minor league players telling us about their terrible bus rides. So uh, if you either have interest in the finances of baseball or about dudes being miserable on 16 hour bus rides, we've got something for everyone in that regard. I love it. I'm going to listen to that. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> and I would like to thank everybody. Uh, I put out a call for some to get some more five-star reviews last week, and I said if if we get enough, I will drop 
the episode on Creed I have recorded with uh, with guest Bradford William Davis. I didn't really put out a firm number on how many, but you, you folks have really come through. If we get a couple more, I'll say a couple, uh, I will drop that in the next two weeks. So as a like a Thursday bonus or something. So a big thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed. Those do you know help the podcast. You folks know how the, the podcast world spins. But Alex, let's get into Ted Lasso, episode six, Two Aces. When Jamie refuses to train, Ted turns to talented new signing Danny Rojas, and the team is struck by an age-old curse. Alex, do you believe in curses? When it comes to sports, yes. <laughs> that has that makes no sense at all. Um, but yes, I do. Like I think my alma mater, the University of Mississippi, is cursed. I don't know why. I don't have specifics, but. We are the type of team across many sports where we just miss it by an inch, whether it's like one play away from the SEC championship game and then some crazy fourth and 25 situation happens with Arkansas or, you know, like this week where we're one game away from the College World Series and it just didn't work out for us. And so, yeah, I believe it's not so much in curses. I believe in karma. And I think you got to repair that karma to get things back on track. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fight you on on the old Miss curse at all. Um, th- this episode, I thought, brought a couple a couple great opening questions to mind. Besides, you know, do you believe in curses? Do you have a good opening question? I don't know if it's good because it's a little broad, but let's say your sports team of choice had a curse and you were asked to sacrifice an item that meant something to you to break it. I don't know like what that situation would be. For me, for example, it would be what would I sacrifice to see my team go to like win a national championship in football? So whatever that equivalent is to you, what item in your life would you sacrifice for that? That would be the Twins winning a World Series because they haven't won since I was in diapers and this year especially has been has been difficult. Um I was actually giving this some thought. I think and this is like corny, my first, not my first baseball glove, but the first baseball glove that actually meant a ton to me. Um, I remember I got it when I was 14. I still have it. It is still sitting in my office. I'm looking at it right now. It is, uh, it, it was the like, I remember the day I got it. I remember like, you know, asking my parents for it forever. I used it all throughout high school. I brought it to college with me, even though I wasn't going to use it. And I, I really didn't in college, but I just always had it with me. I had a teammate kind of refurbish it. So it's got that, you know, special side to it now. And uh, I think that's what I would, because it's, it's all the memories that come with it. It's, you know, I've had it for almost 15 years now. So it would probably be that. I feel like that would be enough to to at least like let the twins win a fucking playoff game. Like even that's been <laughs> almost 20 years. So, so your would, bar is low. That. Yeah. <laughs> I, so on, on my, on, um, earlier episodes of this podcast, when, uh, we covered Moneyball, we kind of suffice that the twins are actually have been cursed by the Moneyball A's because they beat the team from Moneyball. The, 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 the movie and book Moneyball was written about, um, that 2002 A's team, they beat them in the 2002 AL Division Series, and that is the last playoff series the Twins have won. So they are cursed by the Moneyball A's. Yikes. Maybe I should burn my glove. 
Yes, I think I think I'm working through some shit. I think that's how we're gonna do it. <laughs> this is therapy for you. <laughs> like, I know. What would uh, What would you throw in the trash can for Ole Miss? Anything, anything, all of it. <laughs> anybody that you want, my child, take them. Oh wait, that that's a joke, by the way. For anybody listening, please don't report me. Um, I would give up my um, Eli Manning signed football for sure. I oh would, yeah. I actually have a really weird thing. I have a slice, and I have no other way of describing it but a slice so you know um in oxford the the grove is known for our big tailgating center it's truly a grove of trees and they're beautiful stories yes well every few years they have to take out one or two trees just because of you know i don't know how it works but you you have to because they're dying this is an arborist podcast yeah yes (laughs) i sound so stupid talking about it well i went to an event once um at the university a few years ago and as like party gifts, they gave people slices of like a tree trunk from the Grove and they emblazoned it with the university logo. And I think it's probably the coolest thing I own. I don't think it's worth a lot. I doubt people would pay a lot of money for it, but I think it's very cool. I'd give up that. I'd give up all my jewelry. I'd give up all my Louis Vuitton bags. And I have quite the collection because I'm insane <laughs> and I like purses. You could have all my designer shoes, everything. Everything. I don't need much. I'm a minimalist. You can have it all, burn it, whatever you have to do. I'll be fine. They should make Lane an item of clothing, like a hat or something, out of those tree slices. I think yeah. I think that he would rock the shit out of that. Yeah. Burn Lane too. I mean, I know we probably need him, but like whatever it takes. Let's just let's get Lane it. Lane might out be there. I think I think if there's one thing we know about Lane, Lane might be fireproof. Lane has never been able to, to just be completely set on fire and, and not, like, come back, so... Well, when um, your name is Freshwater, you can't really <laughs> stay on fire. He was able to come back from that. Uh, so, okay, the, I've, I've got another one just because of the... Um, I, I think about the the hooligans or the, the AFC Richmond fans in this episode when, the, you know, they're shocked the whole team is in the bar. Who is the most famous person you've seen in a bar? Hmm. Most famous person I've seen in a bar. Um, I, well, it's hard because when I think of a bar, I think of like, you mean like in a college town bar or just any bar ever? Any bar, any drinking establishment. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of musicians in bars before. Like I'll go to concerts and then afterward they'll come in there. But I just because I like this story better... Um, like a year ago, I saw Joey Lauren Adams in a bar in Oxford. She actually lives in Oxford and she writes, and I just, I love Joey Lauren Adams and I think she's amazing. And I totally just nerded out and was like, you're Joey Lauren Adams from Chasing Amy and Big Daddy and all these great things. So I don't know if she's the most famous, but she's the one that shocked me the most. Maybe, um, I saw Houston Nutt <laughs> in, oh, a bar, God. in a, in a bar, bar in Oxford. Yeah, I mean, this was 2009, so he was still relatively famous, <laughs> so that was fun. I saw, like, I've seen most of the Mannings. I don't know. I just don't, it's all, like, in my silly little college circle, I guess, so I don't know if I've seen anybody, like, legit, legit famous. I mean, mine isn't, I think my most famous is, is hyper niche. Do you, do you know who Jamie Moyer is? It sounds the guy familiar. who pitched like 26 years in the big leagues, just a complete like old man who threw like 80 miles an hour and pitched forever. 
Oh, I don't know that, no. I, I saw him, <laughs> yeah, saw him in a bar in Reno, and it was the highlight of my night, mainly because me and my three friends were the only people who knew who he was, and we were just, like, completely nerding out. And this guy, who was probably just trying to enjoy a drink at a, at a Reno drinking establishment called Brew Brothers, uh, he, he was probably just hoping he would have a, a nice night and not have three idiots just bothering him and asking him about pitching. But he told me, if you cut and locate your fastball, you can get anyone out. And I had my wedding celebration this past weekend, and those guys who I was with were there, and they signed in our guest book, if you can cut and locate your <laughs> fastball, you can get anyone out. <laughs> signed, Jamie Moyer. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Indeed. Yeah. Shout out to Jamie Moore. I hope he's doing well. Okay, let's get into best scenes. Okay. Uh, this is an episode I really, really enjoy. I was, it is, it, it was very refreshing coming off last week's episode, which yes. as we discussed was a very good episode, but we needed a little pick me up. We needed a palate cleanser. I consider this a really good palate cleanser, even after the first few episodes, because it's like you're building up. You know, you just keep building and building in the backstory and it's coming and then you have episode five and everybody's crying. And then this one for me, like, even though you still got some emotion there, this was just such a good, like, let's laugh and take a little break <laughs> and not feel so much kind of episode. And one of the parts where I laugh the most is the first scene I've got is when Ted Lasso brings in the practice. Shouts out to Alan Iverson. <sighs> brings in the practice. I don't even know which clip I'm going to use, if I'm going to use Ted's version of practice or if I'm going to use Alan Iverson's version of practice, but it is a, it, it is an awesome twist on a classic. And it's great to see Jamie getting put in his place by a guy who's really just taken some frustration out on him. Also, and I mean, I don't know this for sure, obviously. Um, I would argue this is, that scene is Jason's, one of his best scenes in the entire show. Like, that's where he, where he really shows his acting chops is during that. Because, I mean, he just, like, he almost becomes a different person. And you know he's frustrated because of his ending marriage. We know that he's just kind of on edge anyway. So it's not like this came out of nowhere. We know that he was kind of ready to explode. But I think Jason really shows his range in that scene. And there's actually, you are just talking about which clip to use. There's a mashup on YouTube where they just take both scenes and go back and forth between the scene and the Iverson speech. So maybe just use that. <laughs> because yeah, it's, we will put that in right here. Can't practice, you can't practice. You're hurt, you're hurt. It's as simple as that. If I can't practice, I can't practice, man. I'm hurt, I'm hurt. Simple as that. But it ain't about that. At all. It ain't about that. At all. You're sitting in here, you're supposed to be the franchise player. And yet here we are. Talking about you missing practice. As we sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. We're talking about practice. You understand me? Practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. Not the game you go out there and die for. Not the game that I go out there and, and die for. Right? Play every weekend like it's your last, right? No, we're talking about practice, man. And play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. Yeah, it's really good. And I think, you know, like, you're just coming off of the fact that he benched Jamie in the episode before because Jamie was being a little jerk. And they proved they could win without him, which is already, you know, bugging Jamie a lot. And then they go into this press conference in this episode. And he says, he's like, if Jamie's going to play, that's up to Jamie. Like, he's going to have to change his attitude. And that's when Jamie decides to be a little shit. <laughs> and he's going to sit out because he's hurt. 
And Jason, you know, obviously goes off into a scene. Hey, if you're hurt, you're hurt. And God, he just kills it. And it, honestly, it was kind of the apparently the kick in the ass that Jamie needed because that and uh, and being threatened by his position as best player on the team. But you're honestly like Ted's got the frustration from obviously everything that happened last episode. But it, it might also be there. There might be also some worry there of like, am I ever actually going to get through to Jamie? Like, what is going to get through to this guy? And he kind of it's it's kind of nice seeing Ted get a little less cheery and optimistic at him because like we for five episodes we have been super frustrated with jamie so ted's kind of channeling he's channeling us as the viewer there well and you know the last episode where we're seeing his marriage dissolving in front of his eyes and one of the things she says she's i don't remember verbatim but she's like you're just so optimistic all the time or you're just so cheery all the time and even though that's part of like what we love about the character because we only get it in 30-minute installments. Like Imagine having to live with somebody like Ted. It sounds ideal. We all want to say, oh, we would totally be Ted's best friend. Some days you just want to bitch and you just want to complain and you just want to kind of be in a bad mood. And when you have someone who's just constantly trying to cheer you up all the time, it doesn't always mesh very well. So you notice how we have this shift in this episode all of a sudden of he's not that guy. He's kind of resenting that guy because he almost feels like that guy is who ruined his marriage. Um, And I think it's a little, it's very natural. It's very human. It's kind of acting out a little bit, um, you know, in behaving the way he is. But it's also a a great thing to see because he needed to kind of put Jamie in this place. And then we have the introduction of Danny Rojas. Yeah, it's like in true (laughs) Ted Lasso fashion. When we're starting, we're feeling really frustrated. You know, last episode, we've seen just the most soul-crushing divorcing in you know it's we're still reeling from that we've got ted blown up on jamie there's a lot of frustration watching danny rojas do cool soccer moves to jerk it out is just it's like a palate cleanser you feel so happy it is it is pure joy personified Hello, coaches. Thank yes. you for the opportunity. You are a spirited fella, Danny. Just go on out there and get the striking spot for us, okay? Yes. Just like back in Guadalajara. You say it, I do it, coach. Football is life. And what's wonderful is stupid Jamie. <laughs> like, I can't say his name without insulting him. Jamie says, like when Danny goes out, um, he says, Chip a dickhead's like, oh, never back it up from a bitch. And it's just, it's perfect. It's a perfect setup you know, karmically in, in terms of what's going to happen because then he absolutely does and we see that he's the other ace, right? Um, but it's... And no I, one is having more fun watching that than Roy. Oh, I know. Oh, God, Roy's having a field day and that comes with, you know, age and wisdom because Roy could easily be threatened if he were a little younger. But I think, again, we were seeing the full evolution of Roy of him accepting I'm not as good as these guys, but I'm a better leader than everybody. But you just have precious little Danny. Football is life. I mean, Danny just makes everybody happy. It's such a joy to watch him the entire episode, the entire season, really. Just such a, a real treat and a real, kind of a real shot in the arm that this show needed after that, uh, you know, after the the downer of a last episode. And, and when I say downer, it's in the Ted Lasso sense. It's not as though the episode was bad. It was just the only the only time that I've I've wanted to cry watching a comedy show. 
Um, the next one is when Keeley visits the office when she's been doing the intel on the players. And it more just like this fucking friendship. Keeley telling Rebecca that she can just call her when she when they're talking about, you know, what the press is saying about her. And the this scene is essential in the episode because the, they have to keep giving Rebecca more and more reason to hate Rupert to keep this plot going. Because without that, she would eventually, like everyone else, as we've seen, get bought over by Ted Lasso. Yeah, and we've talked about that a lot before. They always have to have a shot of that somewhere um, or like a new way of introducing it. In this episode's case, it's the fact that she's now being referred to as old Rebecca because Rupert is dating a new Rebecca. And, you know, when we talk about it and we think about it, it does seem tired when you just talk about it. Like watching it, you don't think about it too much. But without it, you're absolutely right. There's no reason for her to hold on to this animosity the way she is and to suddenly flip that switch into cold team owner mode if she doesn't have those things just driving her absolutely insane. Yeah, and just watching Keely and Rebecca, every, almost every interaction they have is such a joy, especially after Keely, in you know, her own words, stopped being you know really afraid of Rebecca. And she also, when she's doing her intel about the team, she says Isaac's mother has two left hands, which, yeah. <laughs> which made me... Uh, <laughs> Which made me chuckle. And then Keely goes right into that to going on a, a quote unquote a walk with Roy. And you get you get a little bit of Roy backstory there. And then at this point it is not even a, a will they won't they with Keely and Roy. It's like, when is this gonna happen? I know. And it's so frustrating because she's clearly trying to break through. She's doing it in a cute way. She's not being overbearing or overwhelming. She's not stalking him. She's not You know, she's showing that she cares enough. And even though she's saying she's doing it for PR reasons, I mean, I think it's clear that's bullshit. She's showing she cares enough about him to get to know him. But I have a huge problem with this scene. And do you want to know what that problem is? Yes. Again, I'm just overlapping all the questions you eventually have, and I'm just answering them early. He's rereading A Wrinkle in Time. Did you notice that? I did. I did notice that. Why? Is it because he maybe, read it so maybe fast? Maybe he's the first super day? into it. I mean, it's a classic. Maybe he's prepping because he wants to re- reread it before he watches the movie that Oprah was in. It just seems. It. I mean, I'm. I'm sure it was intentional. It's not like it's the only book on set, but for some reason, it irks me. That's all. I just wanted to say that. So with Roy, if if you look at the hat, how many how many books do we think Roy has read in his soccer career? <laughs> I think he's probably read a lot of books, but I'm pretty sure they're soccer books. I'm sure he's read a lot of like, you know, like athlete or coach biographies. Like he's smart. He's learned. Like I think his life is soccer, but I don't think he's a total dolt. I think, you know, obviously he's engaged by this book. He's probably like me. What I always say or what I have said in the past, I've gotten much better about this. When I was like journalist with a capital J, which all that means is like hardcore news journalist and got to play by the rules. I would tell people like, I don't have time for fiction. I don't have time to read fiction. I loved fiction when I was younger. I mean, that's what made me want to be a writer. But then I got older and I'm reading news all day and I'm writing news all day. And I'm, when I do read books, they're nonfiction or they're biographies or something. And somebody recommends just like a really great, you know, book of poetry or just a wonderful, like a classic fiction book. And I'm like, no, I don't have room for it in my head. And it would make me feel so insecure because I'm like, I, you know, I read all day long, but I'm not reading things that make me feel well-rounded. And I feel like maybe Roy's the same way. I feel like he's 
all the reading he's done or anything that he's put his mind to in his life has always been tied to soccer. That just really made me start to lament that I can't remember the last time I read a really good fictional book. And I'm, I'm like you. That was all I read when I was younger, like when I was in high school and you know when I started reading. I'm, I'm sure the last fictional thing I read, too, was like a John Grisham or David Baldacci or, you know, one of those books you read on a plane that's like, we got a spy <laughs> or we got someone trying to find the truth about something. Like, you know, something you know exactly what you're going to get. But yeah, every... I can, you know, the last 10 books I've read have all been fictional because it's like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like this has to be adding some sort of knowledge or value to my life and I can't just enjoy myself when I'm reading. Yeah, and again, if your entire life is about a sport, then you want all the things that are details and accessories of the life to also be tied to that sport. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, I'm at least happy that Roy is enjoying the book. I'll I'll take that. But yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, reading. good for him. At least he's reading some. At least he's reading some fiction. I I can't say the same for myself. Good. He's reading a novel, man. Good for Roy. <laughs> <laughs> good for Roy. Good for Roy. Um, next scene I've got, and and this I I revere the scene is when they go to the bar and they're talking about breaking the curse at the bar. I love this scene for a few reasons. Um, I have said this on this podcast before. I love it when the band gets together, and this is a lot of the band getting together. We got the whole team in the bar. We got the fans. We got the the awesome bartender. Uh, it's we we got a lot of our our team players in there, and we you know we get this cool backstory and stuff. I'm a huge fan of the scene. It's wonderful, and you know it, it's set up by the fact that Danny has been hurt, and he was in. What do they call it? The training room? Was that what they call it? The, the training room. room. Um, was it training or treatment? I don't remember. Uh, I, I'm going to defer. I'm actually going to defer to our one British fan who will tell us. Our one British <laughs> listener. I want to give him shouts. <laughs> I don't have his name in front of us, but thank you, sir. We have one British listener, and I bet every time I say soccer, he just throws his phone at the wall. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Um Oh, I was going to say, yeah, so they're convinced there's a curse and they're going to have to fix the curse. And then they find out that when the team was created, it was actually just a ploy to recruit men um, to fight in World War One. And it's it, it's like a somber moment. I mean, it really you see kind of the realization on everybody's faces. And even though the idea of a curse is kind of silly. Hearing that backstory alone, I mean, that's a very realistic backstory. It's a really good ghost story. Yeah, it, it really is. And this idea that the club was formed um, as a trick, that it wasn't even it formed, you know, in good faith. And they're going to have to find a way to fix that. I mean, it's great. I don't know why. It kind of reminds me of just like a good kids movie where all the kids are together listening. Kind of like the Sandlot where they're all in the clubhouse, you know. Yeah, The Legend having, of the Beast. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it reminds me of, just all the guys together. And this is when it gets really fun because now they're like, they're making rules about it. They're like, okay, there's a curse. We're going to have to sacrifice something and everyone's got to be there. And yeah, it's it's very good. It's the beginning of, of a very good storyline. Wait, wait, wait. What you're telling me is we've got 400 ghosts. That's too many ghosts. We cannot fight them all. We're not going to have to fight them, Rashad. Wait, so coach, how do we fix this? We can't change the past. No, Sam. No, we cannot. But we can choose to honor it. Those young men, they made the ultimate sacrifice. So I think it's only fair that we sacrifice something of our own. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to go home tonight. Find something, an item, something personal, something that you truly value. 
I want you to bring it tonight to the clubhouse at midnight. We're all gonna fucking do it! That's your captain talking right there. I'm going to do something that I'm sure plenty of people have done, but that is uh, compare Ted Lasso to Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. I think the reason that that movie works so well and all of its predecessors do not is that the ghost story in that one is is a really simple but cool, believable for a ghost story ghost story. These pirates stole some cursed treasure, and now they're cursed. They're undead and stuff like that. Like, that's... That's cool. It's simple. It's exciting. It's a fantasy thing, but it's cool. You get into all the other shit that happens in the sequels, and they're really bad, and they're a complete mess, but it's like this undead octopus guy, and it's not working. This is the same thing. It's a nice, good, simple curse. So that is how Ted Lasso Episode <laughs> 6 is like Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. You gotta, yeah, you gotta keep your curses simple. You don't want to complicate. Exactly. <laughs> no, it, our ghost stories are not complicated. They're very simple. Needs to be like one to two points. Don't need yeah. a lot of hangers on with those ghost stories. This scene also, uh, it, it calls a, another good question in this one. What is your favorite Scorsese? Because this... It, oh again, Ted Lasso, huge pop culture guy. Um, okay, you go first because that—that's not a fair question for me. Because so first instinct is Goodfellas. I mean, yes, that's what I was gonna say, but I was like, that's uh, that's too easy. As someone who hosts a sports movie podcast, I should say Raging Bull, but it's not it. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot that are in there. I, I mean, I, I also like I. I really like Casino, but I don't think I like Casino as much as Goodfellas. So I guess that eliminates Casino. Um, I like The Departed. It's not as good as Goodfellas, but I think I might like rewatching it more. It's pretty tough. Thank you guys for coming out. Um, look, I don't know a lot about this stuff. You know, I don't know about curses, uh, but I do know this. They don't last forever. Okay, you look at the Boston Red Sox curse. That's over. Chicago Cubs, over. Heck, even Mr. Martin Scorsese finally won his Oscar. But I think we can all agree that The Departed is not necessarily his best work. No. That belongs to The Color of Money. No, it's good, fellas. Mm, agree to disagree. No, no. It's your innocence, bruv. Silence! Okay, so you don't know this because Kyle is very good at editing. But what just happened is we were in the middle of recording and everything on my end crashed. And I just think it's very funny after we were talking about curses. <laughs> This is the first time we've had any technical difficulty on this podcast, and everything went awry. The but podcast anyway. has been cursed by 400 dead World War I <laughs> soldiers. I mean, it was inevitable. So now that, now that we're back on track, uh, you've got to tell the folks, what is, your, uh, what is your favorite Martin Scorsese movie? I, if I had to choose, it's going to be Goodfellas. I could watch Goodfellas all day, every day. I think it's brilliant. I think the music is brilliant. But I'm a bigger fan of the Leo movies. So I would say it's a, hmm. as far as like what I think just better filmmaking wise, like I think Shutter Island is great and I love Wolf of Wall Street and that those my, I don't know if those are cliche answers cause I'm not really in the film world and I'm sorry if they are, but, but Goodfellas to me is, I, I love the Godfather. Don't get me wrong. Like I love so many mob movies. I think Goodfellas is the mob movie. It's quintessential. It's amazing. The music is great. 
I probably my favorite movie of all time. I really like Shutter Island, but the problem for me, and we were just talking about reading fiction, is I read the book first, and uh, midway through the book, I figured out the twist, which I'll, I'll you know, we're, I won't spoil here, but it's easier to figure out the twist if you're reading it and you see, yeah, you see how things line up. So um, that kind of didn't ruin Shutter Island for me, but obviously you know what's going on. But um, yeah, no. Regardless, it is very fun to watch this whole crowd, uh, you know, try to try to pick what is their favorite Martin Scorsese movie, and that rolls into uh, the Trash Can, which is arguably my favorite. I, that's that's a bold call. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that take on back and, and shove it back in my pocket. But it is <laughs> one of the it is one of the best scenes of this this season because it has some incredible comedic moments and then two astoundingly touchy moments from characters whose whose kind of outward shell that we have been chipping away at for a lot of this year. Uh, Roy's story is both like so sad. And hilarious when he says, I was fucking nine, say something. Say something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Jamie's backstory, which last last week we were talking about, I, I said a thing along the lines of Jamie is so close to not even being a redeemable as a human. Like he's getting to an age where maybe not. And then I watched this and I'm like, this is a level of self-awareness we haven't seen. Um, it explains a lot that Jamie has a really bad sports dad, which, you know, is a topic that I'm very interested in, bad sports parents. Yeah. Um, it is, it's not a complete redemption by any means, but there's, it's the first time that you feel feelings for Jamie Tart. Like, what? I know. And it kills me. So they're all, I do know there are some people, at least who are listening to this podcast, who haven't watched the show. So I feel a little obligated to almost give some like background. So forgive me that I do that every time. But so they're all standing around and they, they've decided to break this curse. They need to give up an item that means everything to them. And so Roy, you know, to start out with, he gives up a blanket that his grandfather gave him because he was scouted when he was nine to play for what is it what was it called it's a S Sunderland I think yes Su- Sutherland some, something like that our British this is again this pissed. is the thing that we could just say it's like Rocky Wall and it's uh, like, like yeah the, that, that know, sounds right the typical, British listener again just killing us for I'm this sorry one. British listener um and how scared he was and how cold it was and that his grandfather gave him that blanket to, you know, kind of as a security blanket. And then he never saw his grandfather again because he died before he made it home for Christmas. So that is very sad, first of all. And it's funny, yeah, when he says, when people are like laughing at his blankie, he's like, I was nine, say something about it. Um, so you have that. And then Jamie steps up with a pair of cleats and says that his mom got them for him. And he basically tells the story that when he started playing, his mom didn't care if he won. He didn't care. She didn't care if he was good. She just cared if he had fun and if he was happy. And he's completely honest with the group that when his dad, when Jamie started winning, when Jamie started showing promise as a child, that's when his dad got interested. And that's when he started coming to games. And you can, I mean, it is raw. It's like a therapy session. You can see it. He's just like, I hated that, and I always wanted to make my mom proud, and it gets very emotional because you don't even, up to this point, you don't even realize that Jamie can comprehend those kind of emotions. You you think he's just kind of a sociopath, and it's clear that this is somebody who's been set up his entire life to succeed or don't come home almost, and so it's very sad. It's the ultimate contradiction between what makes a good sports parent and what makes a bad sports parent. Yeah. And it, it's something that I've, 
I've just dove into a lot, both as a parent and just growing up playing baseball. I've seen a lot of really good sports parents. I've seen a lot of awful sports parents. Like I feel very fortunate with with how I grew up, but I, I've seen teammates. I had a teammate when I was 14. I was a catcher, and this kid was he was big and tall and just wild as shit. And every time he hucked a pitch over my five foot head and I'm sprinting to the backstop, his mom would be standing there at the chain link screaming bloody murder at me. And it just, yeah, just terrible. And you see all these flaws we've seen in Jamie and how tough he thinks he has to be and how self-centered he thinks, you know, he is and, and how that is, is just rooted in, in, um, you know, and how he how he grew up and how he's thought he has to be to be good at soccer. And it is um, it, it is definitely the 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 most we'll feel for Jamie, I think, all season. Pretty safe to say when he puts those cleats in. But it's it's a really great moment from Phil Dunster, the actor, honestly. It's it's yeah. awesome. And then it, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to completely agree with that. And not to you know, I don't want to get too off topic, but what it reminds me of, you know, there was a study done ages ago and I've read about it many times it's but you've probably heard of it too it's cited a lot and I will definitely get the details wrong because that's just (laughs) how I do um basically they took a group of of young elementary school kids they took two groups of them and they told one group uh you're very smart they kept saying you know they give them work to do and they would do well on it and the response to them would be oh you did well because you're smart and the other group whenever they did well they would say well it's because you worked really hard And they followed this group of kids, I want to say all the way through elementary school, maybe young middle school, and they found that the kids who were told they were smart when they were tested, as they were tested, they would test lower than the kids who worked hard. And it led to this larger idea, this larger theory that when you raise a child to think that there's something innate in them, that you are special, not because of anything you did, but because of who you are, that suddenly they have something to lose. Because if they fail a test if they don't grasp a concept right away, if they aren't the most talented person in the room, if they aren't the fastest person on the field, then there's something wrong with them as opposed to children who are raised to believe that hard work is the key, no matter how much natural talent they have, they're going to continue working for it and they're going to be more comfortable with failure and more well-adjusted to failure because they're going to know their failure isn't because of their lack of work ethic. And I, I, I think about that immediately whenever I see that scene with Jamie. And it's it's so much credit to the show and how it's constructed and and how it really gets into the emotional ethos of characters and kind of what drives people and how people communicate. And then it it didn't just make Jamie a dick to be a dick. It gave this kind of clear lineage of, you know, this is kind of why Jamie is the way he is. Like, have there been other factors in his dad that, other than his dad that kind of have, led Jamie to this path of where, you know, last episode we watched him turn over and injure teammate, which is just true scum Lord move. Like, yeah, you know, you can't, you can't blame everything on, on their parenting, but it, it's just so, it's just so rewarding how this show builds up characters and these arcs and backstories. And it does it in six hours. It's, it's fucking insane. It's so good. Um, and it does it in this scene where you're having these emotional moments with, with Roy and Jamie, and you're not even sure Jamie is coming, but then you also get a guy who pours out sand from the beach where he first <laughs> slept with a supermodel, and another teammate comes up and says, smile because it happened. Wonderful. Um, and another sense of comedy of this show never leaving anything unresolved, Higgins was Cindy Clawford's collar. Another payoff, like you you mentioned the first episode, Cindy Clawford. And then I think Nate's is my favorite. 
uh, a girl once said I look like Clive Owen in these sunglasses. <laughs> and I get it. Like, he actually does a little bit. Like, I could see that. And so, you know, even then, it's like, oh, that's very natural writing. I think the the most heartbreaking to me was Rebecca. And it's, she's not, obviously, she's much too strong-willed and too proud to give an explanation as to why she's throwing a tabloid in the garbage. But she's also revealing that these tabloids and these headlines have had such control over her. And it's almost like a moment of surrender at first. You think like, okay, she's softening. She's understanding what it means to be a team. Because remember, she wasn't even going to show up to this thing until Sam, which that's a whole other story, um, until Sam shows up in her office. And he says, I have to insist that you be here because the entire team needs to be there and you're, you're our owner. Like you've got to. So the fact that she shows up is already impressive. It shows she's softening. But this symbolic gesture of she's not going to let these terrible headlines about her and her failed marriage control her actions anymore, it's it's really a moment where you think, oh, here's the turning point. This is where, you know, resolution is going to start happening. Certainly nothing bad will happen after this. And, well. And then it's really the most not villainous and again i think we've we've said this a few times how we rebecca is not a villain um she's she's someone who's been hurt but it is it's it's definitely the most devious thing she's done and really the biggest blow she's made to afc richmond's prospects on the field and and getting her revenge at rupert is getting rid of jamie and then when she does she learns that ted is who makes the biscuits yeah and i mean i thought so to me i always forget that she doesn't know just because I again when you watch something over and over um you know everything just kind of goes together but I was watching it earlier and just (laughs) that line where he what does he say I hope you I hope you don't like him and then he instant something like that then instantly he's like I got the recipe perfect I know he's like "I, I I finally figured out the recipe or something like that and you know, like, so we go from the trash can and they take it outside to burn it. Thank you, Coach Beard, for suggesting they don't light it on fire indoors. And what sets her off, again, she's got those triggers, is when she finds out, because, you know, they have Danny Rojas come out and he's well again. And so everybody thinks the curse is broken. And that was kind of set up by Ted and Higgins. When she finds out Higgins is in with Ted and not even in with him, but just that Higgins is coming around, you know, he wants to be part of this team. He's not really all, he's not bought in on Rebecca's scheme anymore. She switches again and she suddenly kind of becomes this Cruella figure who is like, oh, go on. No, go be part of the team. I'll handle this. And the next thing you know, I mean, we know that Jamie is now all in. We can't say that he wasn't going to revert if he stayed on the team and he's Jamie. You can't just change someone overnight. But you've got the whole team celebrating, they're drinking, you've got this camaraderie that we haven't seen before. And you think this is like that moment, you know, in a movie where everything starts going well and what's the worst possible thing she could do. And that's get rid of Jamie. And that's what she did. And it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And it, it, the whole team sees like, it takes the air out of the episode. I mean, it, it really is the first thing that she's been able the setting up the, the story with Trent Krim didn't work. And even, you know, hiring Ted hasn't worked and nothing nothing she's done has has worked but this one takes the air out of the whole team especially when uh when they've had more momentum than at any when AFC Richmond has had more momentum than at any other point in the series um and you you're really not really sure how it's going to go as as this episode ends did i miss any of your other favorite scenes 
There are not so much favorite scenes because I think we covered all of them. I do think there are just really good um, one-liners in this. Like Nate has a great line at the beginning where Ted doesn't want what is it? He it's right at the beginning where he's he takes his wedding ring off at home and he's in a huff when he gets to work and he's just jabbering because he doesn't want to have to think about the reality of what's just happened and he's trying to find an alternate word for something. I can't remember what it is, but his alternate word is bathe. He's like, Oh, we can bathe in it. That has a positive connotation. And Nate says, Oh, I don't like baths because my skin gets so wrinkly and I'm deeply worried about aging. (laughs) Which per something that you and I were texting about this past week, Nick Muhammad is 41 and looks amazing. (sighs) He's 41 folks. He's 41, and he's playing a what, like a 24-year-old? Like, how yeah. old is he supposed to be in the show? It's infuriating. it got to be in his 20s. Nick, come on the show. We want to talk about it. We want to talk about your skincare routine. In a good way. Like, yeah, this is not an insult. We, we want you on the show. Have to. Have to. That, that was written. That was one of my favorites. Uh, the other I really like is when um, when Ted, I think it's Rebecca. Rebecca says a masterstroke, and Ted with, yes. I don't think we're allowed to talk like that at work anymore. I know. I don't think we're allowed to say that anymore. I also liked in the press conference when uh, Ted says, well, you know what assuming does, right? It makes an arse out of you and me. And then he looks around, and he's like, yeah, that's one of those American-British things that just doesn't work, <laughs> does it? And I just, I, it's just so... So cute and so charming. I had that as my favorite British to American joke because it's really, that's the only thing we've got. And speaking of that, uh, I'm shouting out, I went to look it up, Richard Tozer, who is our our single British listener. You, sir, are a true lord because you gave me the information about shredded wheat that that I needed. He said shredded wheat originally came in large size, but we also have many versions too. Great news. See, I said this originally, didn't I? I said that I remember. You did, yes. You were spot on. Yeah, I remembered a version of it when I was very little where it was the big biscuits, but then they started making mini wheats, and that's why they called them mini wheats, because they were the smaller versions. I didn't make that up. That makes me feel very justified. I just, I feel like this podcast is a good, like, hate listen for British people (laughs) who probably listen, and not because of you. I just feel like I say soccer a million times during it, and I just say really silly things, and they're probably just like... These damn Americans. I can't even do the accent. I'm not going to try because it'll end up being a meme or something. It'll end yeah, up. Yeah, we're just justifying all their stereotypes. That's all we're doing is every stereotype is absolutely true. There's another great joke uh, where Sam is asking about: Is it true there are all these beautiful dogs in America that yeah. are just get you know just getting put down, which is sad? But then Ted, it's something that a lot of female singer songwriters are trying to change. Uh, shout out Sarah McLaughlin, who I think is I doing <laughs> shouldering the load with that with that campaign. Um, yes, and speaking of Sam, you know, a lot of people said this. I know you and I have talked about it either on the show or, or to ourselves. But the scene where Sam goes in Rebecca's office and he, I forget how he words it. He was like, I was wondering if you have any plans later. And she takes it as a romantic proposition, like a date. And she's like, oh, no, I'm very flattered. But... And he's, rather than him being embarrassed and I was so impressed by this, his character isn't that awkward about it. He's like, oh, I can see why you think I would ask you on a date because you're so stunning or whatever it is he says. And as we know, later in the season, especially in Make Rebecca Great Again, 
I think we might be looking at something between Rebecca and Sam. At some I would point. love to see it because that's a that's her. Not only is does that's Rebecca scandal, deserve though. any sort of action that she wants in her life as she is a strong, independent woman, but like that. I mean, it, that's a way to stick it to Rupert. Is I am hooking up with one of your young, good-looking players, <laughs> which is such a scandal. Like that's the thing. If they if they try to pursue that storyline, it'll have to be a secret. And the storyline will be, it will come out in a tabloid and be like a big scandal. So it's not like I'm wishing for that to happen, but I do, you know, even if it's nothing else than kind of like what Make Rebecca Great Again does as an episode, Rebecca's realizing her own worth again, slowly but surely. And you can tell by the way she she talks and walks and dresses and how she's much more comfortable smiling if somebody compliments her and she's she's starting to feel herself again it's exciting it's good to see i like it there's so much room to i'm i'm just very excited to see what comes of her character arc in the second season because it's someone who is really who has probably gone through more than anyone in the show and is really by the end of the season has has really kind of come out of that so it should be uh should be fun to see let's take a quick ad break we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, Before we get into kind of talking the actual soccer of the show, did you have any other one-liners or under-the-radar jokes you wanted to get to? Um, No, I don't think. I'm looking at all my little... Post-it notes. I did like the part. This isn't a one-liner when um, Jamie refers to himself as a sexy little baby. (laughs) (laughs) When I was just a sexy little... I wish I could do his accent, but I was just a sexy little baby. (laughs) It was just really funny to me. I just needed to pay some homage to the the guy on the team, who I think is the guy that Roy also headbutted, who throws away the keys to his Lamborghini and then Beard looks at him and says, how are you getting home? The keys to my Lamborghini. Beard has a good episode, too. Again, not a man of many words, but just the looks on his face and the way that he kind of helps Ted navigate what he knows is a very difficult time in his life right now. And he's sort of being like the silent friend and the silent leader. It's it's good to watch. Brendan Hunt, we, we, we invite you on the show. Yeah, he does some of the best physical comedy in the season. He has a wonderful face. He just has a really good face for... Pretty much everything. So and a great beard. But I'm not in love with him. Not me. Not me. Not not us. Not <laughs> us, buddy. <laughs> not us collectively. You, you didn't just get married and have a crush on Coach Beard. 
that is that is absolutely right, absolutely right. Um, so talking the talking the actual sports action of this one, Danny Rojas and Jamie doing that kickoff or whatever was pretty cool. Wow, that was on purpose, yes? Yeah. Look, mate, you're good, yeah, but up here there's a difference between good and great. One one, your turn, amigo. Yes. I would like to see professional soccer players do that. That seems like something that would intrigue me. And I feel like that is doable. Again, don't watch a lot of professional soccer, but I feel like the best of the best could actually do that. That'd be pretty cool. Absolutely. And I think, like, it just, as somebody in sports media especially, everybody loves those behind-the-scenes things anyway. So it's funny you even say that because when I watch that scene, that's exactly what I think of. It's like, this would be such good content if it were real, you know? <laughs> like, if it were in real life, I would want to watch this in all sports, in all players, you just want to watch them go back and forth. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And the best is while it's happening, Danny Rojas is just having the time of his life and enjoying this <laughs> this wholesome moment with Jamie. And Jamie just hates this guy through and through. I, he's so mad. I know, because Jamie wants to live in a world where he's the best. That's the thing. Jamie thrives when he's the big fish in the small pond, but he loves to complain about the small pond. And we know a lot of people like that in life, right? <laughs> Even we all might have tendencies to be that way when you feel like, oh, you know, I've just outgrown this town or this job or this situation. But the truth is you're much more comfortable kind of being the big shot than you are being just another guy in a bigger situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've already, I've already talked about how much I love the, the curse story itself or the ghost story itself, but I love the superstition plot line because it keys into a lot of things about sports and about teams and that, you know, you, you, you know, you cover teams, you play on teams and you know, some guys are super, super, you know, wildly superstitious and stuff like that. So it's something that is authentic and believable. And, and, you know, maybe like what, you know, these guys believe it when even Roy won't go in the, in the training room, but it's something that it brings kind of a funny element of sport into it, but something that has a lot of truth in it. And it just uses this great plot device to get, get some people to open up and also be used for some really, you know, standout comedy moments. It's just, it's just another example of this show being wildly creative and just perfect in every aspect of it. But it's, um, I, I love the, the plot device for this episode. And like, frankly, we needed, we needed this. We really, this show. <laughs> we personally, the two of us needed this. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's what I had. I, it's really the only thing that we haven't talked about that I have is like what worked. It is a relief to watch Ted be involved, not only just involved and like throwing himself into his work which is something he talks about in that first scene in his office but also to be the superstition plot line does it it brings out what ted lasso does best which is communicate with people and get people to open up and get people to you know be accepting of themselves and and open and emotional and and ted makes them be comfortable in that so it's it's great watching him not have to suffer in back-to-back episodes because that would have been tough and also to just be really good at what he does. Yeah, and you know, I think as far as the superstition thing goes, it's interesting because I'm really not a superstitious fan at all and I don't I don't know too many of them personally. I've, I've interviewed a lot of them. I've written a lot of stories about superstitious fans, especially in Alabama. Who boy. Um, <laughs> there's one guy... And I hate if I'm repeating myself because I might have told this story on an earlier episode. 
but um, they do this thing where you get to, they call it the running of the gumps. I mean, it's the unofficial um, slogan for it. But basically, a bunch of Alabama fans line up outside Bryant-Denny Stadium in line. They set up Nick Saban on, you know, one end of the field along with, like, assistant coaches and some players, I believe. And then when they open the gates, like, you run, and whoever's first in line to get that autograph, you get the autograph. Well, there's a guy, I don't know if he still does it, but I know a few years ago, every year he would show up five days in advance with, like, a card table, uh, a portable DVD player, TV situation, and this, like, zombie toy that was dressed in an Alabama jersey. And he said he had to have the zombie toy because he was always first and he always got the autograph first. And the reason why he had to have it is because he had watched some Iron Bowl at Buffalo Wild Wings one year and an Auburn fan broke it and Alabama ended up winning. I might have that story completely wrong. I know I wrote about it, so I can check the facts on that later. I do know the zombie was broken. I do know an Auburn fan had something to do with it. And because of that, he he felt like it was a good luck charm. So he got a new zombie and he did it every year. He would sleep out there. For five days just to get Nick Saban's autograph. And not just that, just to be first in line. Because pretty much if you show up, you're going to get it. Um, Alabama so, fans are just a different breed. They're on a different level. They're on a different level. And it's it's what I love about it, though, and I don't make fun of it. And that's why I love telling these stories. That's what I've always loved about it. Because I don't think it deserves being made fun of. I think, for me, the appeal of sports is... There are so many predictions you can make based on the numbers, right, and based on the stats. There are so many things that can, should, probably happen based on what we know, based on how good this player is, based on win-loss records. And it can totally go the other way. And we've seen it happen. And the fact that it's so unpredictable in a space that's based on predictability, that's rooted in this idea that if we know these numbers, we can probably predict these numbers. The fact that something totally wild can happen – I think that's where that's born from. So if you're wearing a certain pair of underwear on the day that, you know, the kick six happens at the Iron Bowl and you're an Auburn fan, you might wear that pair of underwear every single year for the rest of your life. I don't know. Um, But it's certainly not because anything's wrong with you. It's just because people are are so passionate and you, the tiniest little things can totally change the momentum in a game. And I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of sports personally. It's why I love doing this. It's so ingrained in sports culture is superstition, and it's a it's a great vehicle for this episode to use. And I also I have done episodes of this podcast on on a one minute video before. I did it on a one minute commercial. I did an episode on uh, with my good buddy Darren Bott on the Tom Mansky commercials. There is if there's a one minute video that I would love to do an episode on, it is the supercut you can find on YouTube of Alabama fans saying "Roll Tide" as they are arrested. <laughs> One of my favorite things on the planet. I watch it. I watch it really often. I might have to do a, a breakdown of that because it's it's truly special. Alabama fans, God, y'all are something else. I'm telling you, uh, living in this state is just it's a treat. I love it. I'm sure. I am sure. Uh, do you have anything else that worked about this one that that we have not covered? I you know I don't know. I just think it's like I said, it's a good palate cleanser. Like I don't know where I would rank it. Because I don't know, at this point, I don't know how you rank these episodes because they do feel more like a really long movie. I mean, I'll give it a million biscuits probably and all of that <laughs> stuff. But I just think, again, the writing and the story development and the character development is just going so well. And they're really setting up for 
a bundle of episodes toward the end that are fantastic. It gets us moving again because we yeah. had really we had really hit the brakes in a yeah. lot of ways. Not not you know it, it's um, much needed much needed episode. You already mentioned uh, Roy reading <laughs> reading uh, Wrinkle in Time again is what didn't work. Did you have anything else that didn't land in this one? say that I wouldn't even say that didn't work I thought it was surprising I don't know it's not that I have a problem with it it's just it's it is funny to think is this the only book he owns (laughs) like now that I've given it more thought or if he's just so immersed in what that book was meant to teach him that he's reading it again um you know because I think everything on the show is intentional this isn't the type of show where you see random props in the background or you know, uh, like a character coming in too late and then the character comes in a second later because they didn't line up the shots correctly. Every decision on the show is completely intentional. So I don't think it didn't work. I will bring up something that a reader brought up. It might have been our British listener. No, I don't think so. It was somebody on Twitter. It's not for this episode. It's for the last one about um, they said, you know, the big thing that they thought didn't work about the show in general is like what marriage counselor in their right mind would recommend like separating the couple on two continents <laughs> but you have to have something for the storyline of the show but i thought like that's actually a great point i can't see any that might be a like, desperate times call for desperate measures situation but yeah probably not the move we might have to do like a, a short like extra episode like a mini episode when this is all done about just the broader what did and didn't work at the <laughs> show <laughs> what might not have actually flown in real life yeah. Maybe maybe have on a uh, a marriage counselor as a guest and be like, so how how did uh did Ted and Michelle how how did that actually is is that really what what would have gone down? Yeah, it's actually not a bad idea. The Oklahoma thing is precious too. Uh, yeah, I I love I love that. That I might have to might have to incorporate that just for for future reference. It seems like a it seems like a great a great tool to have, but something that could go very wrong. Uh, you never never really know. Um, but uh, what is your favorite Ted moment of this episode? What's the most perfect Ted moment? Oh, I, just the beginning when he's losing his damn mind. When like he's in the office and he's putting the sweater on and he's like, hey, what if we call each other pet names like Honey and Babe? And Nate gives him something and he says, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> like, he's just, he's losing it because you see the very somber moment at first. He takes the wedding ring off and now... He is frantic. He is rushing around. He wants to dive into work. He want, that That's what it was that I forgot earlier. Barry himself in his work. And he's like, wait a second. No, Barry has a negative connotation. I want to bathe in it. I want to bathe in my work. I just think it's it's so good. But I mean, the best one is, for me, the Iverson speech. It just shows how good Jason really is. And Jason's good at a lot of different things. You know, my personal friend, Jason. I don't know why. Yeah, your good, your good friend, Jason, who you, who you once saw for a second at I SNL on the phone. I once saw from afar. Um, but Sudeikis, that's what he's really, um, he's, he's great at writing and directing. And of course, he was a wonderful comedic actor um, on Saturday Night Live and many movies he did. But this really shows just how good he is. And I think we haven't even begun to see what he can do. It's exciting. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I can't. I can't remember the the title of the movie, uh, but it was him and it was Ed Harris and I think it was Dakota Johnson. Uh, the cross country trip with his yes, father. Yes. Yeah. That one. Um, but yeah, I thought he was excellent in that. And you see, you see a lot of that movie in this performance, just just in strictly of getting a little more 
dramatic, but also Ted keeps it much more light and airy. But you, you kind of saw that that Sudeikis had him, had that in him with this role, and it's this is just the thing about the Ted role is it's just a combination of everything he does so well. And I think something that I don't think we brought this up last week, and if we did, forgive me. The fact too, and I'm not trying to be salacious here. We know now that while he was filming this season, he was going through a real life breakup. Um, with his, I think they were engaged or maybe they were just taking, but they, uh, with the mother of his children, he was going through that in real life. And yeah, I think there are great actors who can totally separate their personal lives from their professional lives, but you can't deny him. And he was going through the same thing at home. He had a lot of fuel for those scenes that he could channel. And I think it really showed. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I, I think that's, and that's a narrative that you can't really separate from, from this show is that that was going on, you know, the, the same time and who knows, you know, how that got in, how much of that really made it into the writing. Um, it'd be, you know, I guess we'll find out some in season two, if a, you know, if like a rock star shows up or something, that would be, uh, that would be, it'd be a little <laughs> oh, too God. on the nose. <laughs> Harry Styles look alike. If, womp, womp. if he, or, or if he himself shows up, who knows? I feel like no one can, cannot like, cannot like that guy, but, um, also the other, the other Ted Bowman I really love before we move on is, uh, it's just how he handles the, the curse situation in that he knows that Danny is already okay. Uh, him yeah. and him and Higgins have, you know, Higgins with the Eagle has landed. And I, I guess that's a good, you know, go into Lenny Harris pinch hit award for best supporting character. Good Higgins episode, Jeremy Swift. Uh, the first time I think I've, I've said his name, Phil Dunster is Jamie Tart. Really good, really good Jamie episode, really good performance. Um, really good self-reflection from Phil Dunster. Cristo Fernandez is Danny Rojas, who was actually a professional soccer player before he started acting. Um, and then shout out to Annette Badland is May. Um, and yes. when I say Badland, I it might it just spelled Badland, which seems like a sweet ass name. But she is great as the bartender. She is. We're gonna get that British listener on our ass. <laughs> yeah, I. He's gonna have to record a clip like pronunciation guide. And they're not um, bars. Who is they your... gotta call them pubs. They're pubs. Oh, that's sure. She's yeah, the yeah the pub. Well, so bars. but is she? What is the the pub version of a bartender? Oh, I don't. Is it like the pub master? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna get destroyed on the internet for this. I'm gonna go with pub master. We're gonna know make... if you listen to the whole thing, though. Yeah, exactly. It's a good test. The pub master. Uh, is she your <laughs> is she your best supporting character for this one? I yeah I like yeah I think so just because clearly the curse means something to her clearly the story is very meaningful to her I mean it's not just about the curse it's about the fact that 400 men went into war most of them didn't come back all because they were led to believe that they could become professional footballers that's tragic and you feel that with her and I just think she's great I like how she's kind of fair weather like she's the first one to call him a wanker but at the same time she's like they're still He's still our wanker. <laughs> so we gotta, we gotta love Ted. We gotta love Richmond. And she gives his kids those darts. I yes. am gonna give mine. Mine is a tie. Uh, Christo Fernandez, a standout first per, first episode is Danny Rojas. Just great, great stuff. He is a true joy. And then Phil Dunster's Jamie Tart. It's the first time that Jamie has been any bit likable on screen. Yeah. Um, and, and you actually feel for him in any way, and a, just a really quality performance. Um, something that that I really enjoyed, and it it kind of rolls into my big chill moment. This isn't really, 
it, it can't match up to the last episode of Big Chill Moments in that there's a huge soccer match in the last episode. But Roy and Jamie's stories about their items are, yeah. I don't know if they're chill-inducing, but they're very emotional, very grounded, um, you know, so, something that I enjoy quite a bit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it reveals that, like, they made this sport their lives because they kind of lost part of their family when they were young whether they did you know they didn't literally but that sport was made to be part of their lives when they were young so of course they are the way they are yeah yeah I mean and that's that's something that you can say about a lot of athletes and that how much a sport consumes their lives and how it's easy for a lot of guys to kind of lose who they are um you know be able to kind of take a step back and see how they're acting or how they're conducting their their business or you know how much of their effort they're putting into this one singular thing that every and it, it's hard especially hard to tell a guy Jamie's age and it's something that Roy is starting to figure out now and something how much they're putting into something that is not going to last forever yeah um so and and Roy you know obviously they're on opposite ends of the spectrum we've been kind of getting fed that all season and it's it's just another moment of reflection from those two and in character development and it's it's really effective Alex, I don't even think I need to ask. How many biscuits? Um, out of how many? Five? Out of five. Uh, let's go 12. Let's 12 go biscuits sounds sounds completely fair. Uh, you might have undershot it. I feel like it might be 15 <laughs> biscuits. I'm telling you, the the scene of them huddled around a trash can is is one of my favorites. It's pretty wonderful. I like the camaraderie, for sure. It is, it is so, so good. And and now we are moving. We're you know heading into our last four episodes. Uh, going into episode seven next week. I am very much looking forward to it. Alex, tell the folks again where they can follow you. Uh, you can follow me at Alex McDaniel on Twitter and Instagram, though my Instagram is very boring. Um, also do another podcast called Ain't Slade. And in about a month-ish, you can find me over at For the Win, ftw.usatoday.com. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, Ted Lasso Rewatch, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate and leave a review. You guys leave a couple more reviews. We will release that Creed episode as a the Thursday bonus. For any baseball fans out there, check out From Phenom to the Farm. That is presented to you by Baseball America. Comes at you every other Tuesday. And me and Alex will catch you next week with Ted Lasso Episode 7. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.